As Kathy and I were driving in this morning, we were listening to the newsboys sing the cross as the final word. And we just had communion in which we look back to the cross, but we need that reminder, particularly in light of this weekend. Yesterday, a mass shooting in El Paso, 20 killed, numerous others wounded. In the wee hours of this morning, a mass shooting in Dayton, Ohio, nine killed, numerous others wounded. So we need to remember that in the cross and in the empty tomb, Jesus has won the victory. And yet in the meantime, until he comes back to finally put evil to rest, we live in a world which desperately needs Jesus because our world is so filled with anger and hatred. Right now, I want us to pause briefly in silent prayer, and then I will close this in a time of prayer, and then we'll get into the sermon. Father, in the midst of a world of darkness, you have called us to be light. Help us to be that. To share the hope that we have in Jesus, hope in this life, and hope for the life to come. We pray for your comfort on those who have lost loved ones at the forces of evil. And we pray that you would open the eyes of our nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my name is George Fisher, in case you don't know me, and let me express my appreciation to Jordan and to the worship team for their, those fine songs that helped us sense the presence of God this morning. I want to express my appreciation to Steve for the opportunity to preach here, and I want to express my appreciation to you, the church, for the way you have rallied around our son Derek and his wife Jennifer and their children Elena and Brandon especially after Derek's major stroke back in February of 2017. From the very beginning of that event in their lives, you have responded to their needs, you have encouraged them, you have helped bear the burden for them. You have made a big difference. And you've made a difference for Kathy and me as we followed God's leading to move here from Florida in order to help out with that situation, you've welcomed us and you've made our uh, transition easier and you've allowed us to get involved. And again, you've made a difference. But speaking of difference, our theme for the month of August is all the difference. And our theme for today is the Holy Spirit makes all the difference. You and I can make some difference in the lives of other people, but the Holy Spirit makes a huge difference in our lives. But when it comes to talking about the Holy Spirit, we need to be careful. Since the Azusa Street Revival in 1906, which marks the beginnings of the modern Pentecostal movement, it seems that some Christians talk about the Holy Spirit too much. And in reaction, others don't talk about the Holy Spirit at all. And so here, as in many areas of life in general, and theology in particular, what is needed is balance. The Holy Spirit, of course, is the third person of the Trinity. God exists eternally as one essence in three persons. That is the classic and historic formulation of the doctrine of the Trinity. So the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. 
And let's remember that the Holy Spirit is a person. That is, he has personality. He is not a vague, impersonal force. We should never refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. He is a he. But having said that, by way of introduction, let's get into our text for today. It's in John chapter 16. It's the words of Jesus to his apostles. Those words were a part of a major conversation which Jesus was having with his apostles on the night in which he would be arrested and tried and subsequently crucified. His last words to them, as it were. Let's hear them. John 16, verses 7 through 15, and I'm reading from the New International Version. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me about righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Today we're seeing that the Holy Spirit wants to make all the difference in our lives. As we examine this passage in more detail, we first see his presence. Verse 7. Jesus was spending these last moments with his Twelve disciples, minus one, who has absented himself because he betrayed Jesus. These last moments before Jesus would be arrested and put on trial, and he needed to get his disciples ready for what was coming. What was coming was his absence. After three years of day and night interaction with his disciples, teaching, doing life together, training them, he would be leaving them. Jesus tells them in verse 5, now I'm going to him who sent me. So how could they get along without him? What would they do? So in the face of what lies ahead of them and in the light of their uncertainties and fears, Jesus has to assure them that rather than a loss, his leaving them would actually result in a gain for them. He said, it is for your good that I'm going away, there in verse 7. How can his going away be a good thing? Because when he goes away, he will send the Holy Spirit in his place. Back in John 7, verse 39, John had said the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Well, once Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and glorified, then the Holy Spirit would come. You see, when the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, took on human flesh as Jesus of Nazareth, he could only be in one place at a time. 
But when he left our world and sent the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit then could in fact be anywhere, could dwell with all believers anywhere around the globe. And Jesus is here assuring his disciples then and us, his disciples now, about what a wonderful thing it is to have God's presence with us through his Holy Spirit. You remember the back in Exodus 32 when Moses was up on the mount receiving the Ten Commandments. The Israelites were down at the foot of the mountain under the auspices of Moses' brother Aaron, worshiping a golden calf. And God was angry with them. And God wanted to obliterate them and start the process over again through Moses. And Moses pleaded with God for his mercy upon the people. He said, please forgive their sin, but if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. And God's response to Moses was that he would hold responsible the people who actually were responsible. And then God told Moses, now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. And then a little later, God says, I will send an angel before you, but I will not go with you. But Moses pleads with God, and he says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up there. Moses was not satisfied with an angel. He wanted the very presence of God himself. And so finally God relents and he says, I will do the very thing you have asked. And then is when Moses says, show me your glory. For Moses, an angel was not enough. He wanted the very presence of God himself. And that's what the disciples of Jesus wanted too. They did not want to lose Jesus. They wanted the presence of God. And Jesus is here assuring them that when he goes away, that's what they'll have in the Holy Spirit. They would not be left without the presence of God because the Holy Spirit is the presence of God. When Jesus goes, the Holy Spirit will come. Now, what would that presence be like? In our verses, Jesus does not use the term Holy Spirit. He actually calls him the Spirit of Truth. He also uses the term Advocate, verse 7. In other translations, that advocate is translated as comforter or encourager or counselor or helper or even friend. None of those translations is totally adequate. As advocate, the Holy Spirit comes to our defense when we're in trouble. As comforter or counselor, he soothes our broken heart when we're hurting. But whatever the exact nuance of the term, God is with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has not left us alone. He has sent his Spirit to indwell believers. The role of the Holy Spirit is to be with us, the very presence of God with us. Back in Genesis 28, as Jacob was fleeing from his angry brother Esau, one night he used a stone as a pillow and he had a dream about a stairway reaching from 
earth to heaven, and the angels of God ascending and descending on that stairway. And when he woke up, he said, surely the Lord is in this place. I hope that when you leave the worship services every Sunday, you had a sense that the Lord was in this place. If so, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. When you have strength to overcome temptation, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. When you feel a prompting to do something that glorifies God, or maybe a prompting not to do something that would dishonor him, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has not left us alone. He has sent his Holy Spirit. Do you appreciate the role of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you rely on his presence? One of the most encouraging promises God has given us is in Hebrews 13, verse 5, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So if you are a follower of Jesus and therefore have his Holy Spirit in your life, that promise is a reality for you. Rely on that promise. You have God's presence in the person of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Don't feel forsaken. Don't feel alone. Rely on the presence of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, as we look at this passage, we see his power, verses 8 through 11. One of the chief works of the Holy Spirit is to do what his name suggests, to make us holy. That is the process called sanctification. That's just a big theological term which says that the Holy Spirit cleans up the sin and the junk in our lives and makes us more and more like Jesus, produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. But that work of sanctification is not what Jesus is talking about here. Here in this passage, he is speaking about the convicting work of the Spirit. Jesus says in verse 8 that when the Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong, as it reads in the New International Version. Other translations say he will convict the world, and I actually like that better. The word convict is a legal term. It speaks of pronouncing a judicial verdict by which the guilt of the accused is defined. The Holy Spirit convicts people. Convicts about what? Well, we're told right here in this passage, convicts about sin and righteousness and judgment. The essence of sin is unbelief, as verse 9 indicates. If you don't believe in Jesus, who is the Son of God, who died for your sins, the Holy Spirit will be working in your life to convict you of that truth. He convicts about righteousness, because apart from a sense of the absolute holiness of God, we don't realize our own sinfulness. We think we're pretty good, and that pretty good is good enough. He convicts about judgment. The judgment is what we deserve because we fall short of God's perfect standard. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. For me as an 11-year-old boy, it was the fear of judgment that the Holy Spirit used to convict me. For somebody else, it might be guilt over their sin. For somebody else, it might be a call to righteousness. 
But whatever the Holy Spirit chooses to use in a particular person's life, he has the power to convict us. He convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. And all those speak of the fact that there is an authority over us, and we're accountable to that authority, and one of the tasks of the Holy Spirit is to convict us when we rebel against that authority. But notice something here. The work of convicting the world is the task of the Holy Spirit. It is his convicting work. It's not our job. It's the Spirit's job. He is the one who has the power to do that. We do not have that power, nor has that task been assigned to us. And yet too many Christians turn people off because they act as if their job is to denounce people and scold people and tell them all the things they're doing wrong. No. Our job is to love people and to point them to Jesus. Our job is to pray for them. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict. Our job is to love and to pray. Our daughter Jana went to Stetson University in Deland, Florida. She graduated in 2009. Every Friday afternoon in downtown Stetson, in downtown Deland, rather, there was a church in town that would send a contingent of people, and they would stake out the four corners of an intersection in downtown Deland, and they would pick it with their signs. And those signs were angry and condemning and confrontational. They were the turn or burn, you're going to hell type of signs. Now, I don't doubt the sincerity of those people. I do question the effectiveness of their methods. And part of the problem is that probably for some people who, who witnessed that, that's probably all they knew about this thing called Christianity. And so that gave them the impression that the Christian faith was a, a faith of anger and judgment and hatred. Jana had an art class called Image and Meaning, in which she was required to do a site-specific project. So one Friday afternoon, Jana went to downtown to land, and just a little bit south of that intersection where the people were picketing on all those four corners, she sat on a bus stop bench, and she set, held up a sign which said, Grace. It's the job of the Holy Spirit to convict people. Our job is to love them and pray for them. At the beginning of his gospel, John says the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. Sometimes we're big on truth, but we forget about the grace part. Sometimes... We're big on grace. What if we forget about the truth part? Jesus came to bring us both. The Apostle Paul, in writing the Ephesian letter, says in Ephesians 4.15, he speaks about speaking the truth in love. Truth and love, the two go together. 
Nobody has said it better than John Stott in his commentary on Ephesians. He says, truth becomes hard if it's not softened by love. Love becomes soft if it's not strengthened by truth. What message are you giving out? Are you acting like it's your job to convict people of sin? Or are you allowing the Holy Spirit to do that? He has the power to do that. We don't. Well, that's the work of the Spirit in reference to the world. Finally, as we go on, we see the difference that the Holy Spirit makes as pointed out in the remainder of these verses, 12 through 15, as Jesus speaks of his purpose. The first purpose in verse 13 is to guide into truth. Jesus has called the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth, and Jesus himself had claimed back in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and now Jesus is declaring that he will be sending the spirit of truth. So consistent with that name, Jesus now says that the spirit will guide them into all truth in verse 13. Now let's be careful here. Two of the chief rules of interpreting scripture is to ask who is speaking and then to whom those words are being addressed. Jesus is here speaking, and he is speaking to his apostles. The Spirit would guide the apostles into all truth as they wrote the inspired scripture, as they remembered the things which Jesus taught them. Back in John 14, verse 26, Jesus had told them, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So this promise here in John 16, verse 13, is a promise given to the apostles, and it's a promise which points forward ultimately to the apostolic writings. Too many Christians try to assume that that promise is given directly to them as if it gives them some sort of infallibility in interpreting Scripture. No, it's in reference to the apostles in writing Scripture. But where we need to be alert even more is what Jesus says in verse 14. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. Jesus is telling his disciples that one of the main purposes of the Spirit is he will glorify me. A couple of quotes here. Leon Morris points out that the function of the Holy Spirit is, quote, to draw attention not to himself, but to Christ. Merrill Tenney says his chief purpose is not to make himself prominent, but to magnify the person of Jesus. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will glorify him, Jesus. One of the little books I have in my library is a book co-authored by Frederick Dale Bruner and William Hordern. It's called Holy Spirit, Shy Member of the Trinity. And in the first chapter, titled Shy Member of the Trinity, written by Bruner, Bruner tells about Charles Erdman. 
Erdman was a professor at Princeton Theological Seminary when Bruner was a student there. Erdman was the William Barclay, the Warren Wearsby of his time. His New Testament commentary series is very concise, very clear, very insightful, and this is the kind of man Erdman was. Well, one time Brunner heard Erdman answer the question of how we could be filled with the Holy Spirit according to the New Testament, and this was Erdman's reply. I've become convinced that those persons are most filled with the Holy Spirit who are least conscious of it. All they know is that they wish to serve Christ, and they feel that they are unprofitable servants. This is what Bruner calls Erdman's Law. And Bruner goes on to say, the work of the Holy Spirit is the honoring of Jesus. The work of other spirits is the honoring of themselves or of other realities. We are not necessarily in the presence of the Holy Spirit when we're in the presence of a great deal of talk about the Holy Spirit. He says the Spirit's work is the thoughtful honoring of Christ. The Holy Spirit does not center on the Holy Spirit. One more quote from Bruner, and I really like this. The Spirit is most present, or Jesus is most central. Let me say that again. The Spirit is most present, or Jesus is most central. The point is this. The function of the Holy Spirit is not to draw attention to himself, but to put that attention on Jesus. Jesus says, he will glorify me. Just as Jesus spoke only what his Father commanded him to do and did only what his Father commanded him to do, so also the Spirit will only do what the Son commands him to do and say what the Son gives him to say. You see, it's not some experience we have that proves we have the Holy Spirit. It's our love for Jesus. So are you in love with Jesus? If so, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Are you determined to honor and obey Jesus? Then that's the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. And if you're letting the Holy Spirit work in you and do that work, then you know the difference he makes as he draws you closer to Jesus. The Holy Spirit makes all the difference. He indwells followers of Jesus helping them be more like Jesus and more aware of the greatness and majesty and presence of Jesus. He convicts people of their waywardness and calls them to follow Jesus. He points people to Jesus, and he brings glory to Jesus. In one of their new songs, Hillsong United, and the song is called Ready or Not, Hillsong United sings, There's no place like his presence. And then they sing, he waits with open arms. Perhaps you've not experienced the relationship with Jesus, which the loving Heavenly Father wants to give you through Jesus Christ, in which the Holy Spirit came to make real to you. Jesus died for your sins so that the barrier between you and the Holy God could be broken down. Will you receive his forgiveness? Will you come into his presence?
you want to take that step of surrendering to Jesus, entering into relationship with him, we'll be glad to talk to you this morning. Let's pray. Oh, thank you, dear Lord, that you are so real in the person of Jesus and in the person of your Holy Spirit who indwells the hearts of believers. Help our obedience to be you to be real. As we go from this place, as we honor you, as we walk out each step along the way of being your disciples, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a sermon series by Discover Christian Church. Find more at discovercc.org.